God hears our various and sundry pleas. Um, 13. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now in this little short ode, We have one of the pleas of David. The exact timing of the psalm is not stated. And it is probable that it was used several times during the recurring adversities of his life. How long? Or some have dubbed it the howling, how long psalm. The, uh, the psalm divides itself readily into three divisions consisting of two verses each. The first two verses are the questions of anxiety, and then there is the cry of prayer, and then there is the song of faith. How long? The question is repeated four times. Very intense desire for deliverance from the great anguish of heart that this persecuted and oppressed one felt. Now, it is true that there is some impatience mingled in these questions. And this is very true to nature, corresponding readily to the experiences that we go through. It is not easy to prevent desire from degenerating into impatience. If you have been in that place, you understand the truthfulness of that statement. We need grace that while we're waiting on God, we be kept from having a murmuring spirit. For the psalmist, 
question, how long? How long am I going to be kept waiting? But the Lord knows our frame. Psalms 103, verse 14, He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And any of the praying that we do has to be adjusted to be acceptable. Now, this is done for us. I read in Romans 8.26, the Spirit Himself also, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It does not matter how clever nor eloquent I may be. I don't know how to pray as I ought, but I am confident that the Spirit himself knows how to make it acceptable, and so it is. Now, in our anguish, some of our questionings are unreasonable. Consider the first verse of this song, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Can God forget? It seems so. And yet I read in the 49th chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 49, Verse 14. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. So, it may seem, it may seem like we are forgotten of God, that he has neglected our case. 
And so we may ask unreasonable questions. And then he makes it worse. He says, forever? Now David knew, David knew the answer to this. But when you consider the long, the long dark night of his trouble. Then it becomes understandable that he thoughts had stopped. From the time that he was a lad keeping the sheep when Samuel anointed him and he went from there to the court of Saul and fled from there to be persecuted hunted a flight for his life. And not just his life, but he had wives and children. He was 30 years old when Saul died. Reminds me of Joseph he was 17 years old when he left his father's house. He was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. Kipling may write, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting. But uh, these were tested acutely. And so he says, forever. And the answer to that is, no, not forever. Temporarily is bad, but here it seems endless. And it was an ungracious thought that David should say forever. Let me read you some verses. Isaiah 54, verse 7. For a small moment, for a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercy will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. Again from the prophet Isaiah. Verse 
Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 17. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob. And I will look for him. Peter, in writing to the early Christians who were under persecution, suffering privation, being dispossessed of their worldly goods, betrayed by family and friends, addressed them this way. He said, you're rejoicing in your great salvation. That's wonderful. Though now, for a season, if needs be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation. It was seasonal, just for a season. Not forever. And to the martyrs, John was given to see in the sixth chapter of Revelation when the fifth seal was open, I saw under the altar, Revelation 6, verse 9, the souls of them that were slain for the, test, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So David's question here how long will thou forget me, O Lord? Forever. <clears throat> it was temporary. And in the 30th Psalm, verse 5, his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. For a night, and the night is far spent. In the second part of the first verse, 
we have a more rational question. How long will thou hide thy face from me? Now, God does hide his face from us. That is, we do not perceive his countenance. But a hidden face is no sign of a forgetful heart. I read in Job 34, verse 29, When he giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? When he giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hideth his face, who then can behold him? Whether it be done against a nation or against a man only. This, of course, is one of the sayings of Elihu, who was more accurate in his understanding of God. How long, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? And this is the way we do when we're in trouble. Our minds our minds do this whether we will it so or not. Like a squirrel on a treadmill, round and round and round, and we're no nearer an answer after we have raced a mile than before. Ruminating upon trouble is bitter work. A child has a mouthful of bitterness when he chews the pill which he was told to swallow. Here David said, How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? He may have been speaking about Saul, For us, the enemy may be the devil, but more commonly, the carnal nature within. I am my own worst enemy. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So David, David has his moments of questioning of God, of his presence with him, of his fighting with him,
of the enemy being exalted over him. But in the third and fourth verses, he comes to pray. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. He knows where to go in time of need. And it is a hopeful and effective plea. You have not forsaken me. You can see and you can hear me. And so the petition goes on. God's temporary absence from his people's consciousness brings desolation. But they need not feel that they are deserted forever. Listen to Job. Job 23. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his throne. I would order my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. But he goes on in the eighth verse, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doeth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, but I cannot see him. And then we have one of those grand affirmations of faith. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knows. He is not unconscious of my problems, of my nature, of my weaknesses. And so we have his confidence. David here prays, and he claims God as his own God. O oh Lord, my God. You are my God. I worship you. And we may be tried and troubled, but God remains unchanged. We may lose our gourds, but not our God. His request here is, lighten mine eyes. Cause me to see things rightly. I'm in the dark. I'm not enjoying being in the dark. Would you lighten my eyes? Cause me to see properly. Darkness makes for sleep, and sleep is but a step from death. 
And David had a concern for his life. He said to Jonathan, of a truth, there is but a step betwixt me and death. And this was not an exaggeration. The javelin of Saul was ordinarily accurate. So David pleaded with his God to be enlightened. Lighten thine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now the bondage of fear of death is not a new thing. Christ came to terminate that for his people. Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So we have here a paradox. You understand what a paradox is. It's a seemingly incomprehensible that by dying Christ could destroy death but thus it is and the life of the Christian and the death of the Christian is similarly paradoxical Paul was cheered by the concept that if he died who would be with his Lord. The fear of death was gone. And so I read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, we are confident, I say and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul said, I, I just as soon go. In a way, I had rather go. But for your sakes, I'm willing to remain. And so, I will 
elect to do what pleases my Lord. Verse 4, lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against them. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David was aware that he was a target. Some of those that he might have expected loyalty from betrayed him. The men of Kalia he had he had rescued from the raids of the Philistines. The the people of Kiahla. But when he inquired of the Lord, Saul is coming. Will the men of Keilah betray me? And the word is they they will. But he took he took no he took no revenge on them for their infidelity, fickleness. He and his army dispersed so that Saul could not find them. The Ziphites were aware that David and his men were in the wilderness of Ziph. So what did they do? Did they bring food and survival equipment for David? No. I went to Saul and said, if you want him, we know where he is. Come down and get him. Not once, but twice. But it is not God's will for the arch enemy to overcome his children. You remember what our Lord said to Peter in Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Now, this does not mean that there will not be martyrs. When I say it is not God's will that the arch enemy overcome his children. I read in Luke 21, verse 12, But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your heart not to meditate before what you shall answer. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Verse 13. 
ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. Well, that's a paradox. It sounds like if they cause them to be put to death, it sounds like a hair of their head perish. It's much the same, it's much the same thing that I read about in the 8th chapter of Romans. Paul in that transcendent passage said in Romans 8 verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What would it take? What would it take to get us out of his hands? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved. Do you see the paradox? Sheep for the slaughter. More than conquerors. In reading over. In reading over the heroes of faith. In Hebrews 11. It's marvelous to read about those who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness. Women received their dead, brought to life again. They escaped the violence of fire. But the chapter doesn't end with those triumphs. Others. It goes on others who had the same faith. Others who were the same heroes. We're told about suffered cruel mockings. trial of cruel mockings and scourging, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were stoned asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, wandering about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, they wandered in deserts, in mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. These obtained a good report through faith. 
whom the world was not worthy. So, David, you're having a hard time. So, Christian, you're having a hard time. Things are not going the way you expected them to go. You feel that God has forgotten you. There is a paradox. The present scene is not the final one. And there will come a time when every wrong will be righted. This is our confidence. The Lord Jesus saying in that verse beyond what I just read in your not a hair of your head shall perish. The encouragement is in your patience possess ye your souls. Now that's much easier to talk about than to do. The last part of this psalm is a beautiful change. Verses 5 and 6 show us the results of praying. The song that came to his heart after he had prayed. And it's quite a change. I read in the second chapter of Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10, My beloved sake, the one whose face had not been seen, the one accused of forgetfulness, my beloved sake, and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. The winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. And David's heart, David's heart was frequently more out of tune than his heart. Many of his psalms begin with a complaint. But he ends them with singing. And the contrast makes his complaint all the more poignant. Listen to his avowal. I have trusted in thy mercy. I will sing unto the Lord. 
through his long, dark night. The Lord had been his stronghold. <coughs> the 18th Psalm, which hopefully we'll get to shortly, is a song that David sang unto the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Weeping endures the night. Joy comes in the morning. And so David will not be driven from his haven or refuge. And because of that trust, his heart can sing, I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. But David, you're destitute. You have to worry about the survival of 600 hungry mouths. My God, he is sufficient. Joy is feasting within while troubles continue to rage on the outside. You remember that on the night of the Passover, The Lord passed through the land, and on that night, there was the death of the firstborn in the house of every one that did not have blood sprinkled on the doorway. And there was a shout, there was loud lamentation mourning and weeping on the outside. The children of Israel were commanded to stay inside and eat the Passover. The figure of that we have around us there may be trouble, trials, our hearts may be tested. There may be difficulties within and without. But we're called to the Lord's table to remember what He did for us. And we have peace within. The Lord has not forgotten. 
he has dealt bountifully with me. If we can wait and trust, we shall come to see how good God has been in working all things together for our good. We can't see it now. But if he would be pleased to lighten our eyes so that we could see his hand at work, we would say, our deepest troubles were well chosen. And so the psalmist said in Psalm 27, verse 13, I had fainted I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. That was true not only of David, it can be true of you and of me.